Welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that's a work of art in itself, Sally. Yes, it is. And it's brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here in the Artable Peace Studios with us, artist-in-residence and cultural sounding board, John Baird, of the obtuse and surprising Mark Stewart and me, Sally Bailey, this week to talk about a few things we've found interesting and we hope that might interest you. Hello, Mark. Hello, John. Welcome back. Thank yeah, you. good to have you back, John. Hmm. Um, what are you going to be on about this week? I'm, Sally, going to make the... Unlikely segue between a uh, locked up and discovered cellar in Madrid and Ooh. Melbourne's Red Rattler trains. Oh, a segue. An unlikely segue. An unlikely segue. You are the master of those, of course. As in the, the, the bike that goes... No, 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 no. no, no. That's I'm a segue. nowhere near as modern as that, Mark. Okay. I mean, a segue is in a connection. Okay. Yeah. I'd never made that connection, but no, no. Has anyone ever <coughs> actually been on a Segway? Yes. Uh, Have you? Can <coughs> yes. you do it? Oh, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, it's a lovely invention, but they're they're um yeah, it's a bit. It's all about the gyroscopes on yes. the side that keeps it standing up, and they have uh, tourists. Take them in big groups in in Paris. Yes, and I you know. See all these people standing on them with helmets and looking yes. a little silly, but apparently they're very good for factories and postmen and things like that. Yes, I, I, Will and I were in, uh, engulfed by a, by a swarm of them that came over the hill when we were in San Francisco. It was <laughs> very hard not to laugh. Um, okay, so what are you going to be talking to us about today, Mark? Uh, a bit about um, poetry, writing and sport yeah. and health, which oh. is something we all know about. So, uh, And other things, as in, um, uh, what's his name? Philip Roth died uh, last week. The writer. The writer, yes, oh. 85. He was a very good writer. Port Noise Complaint, you might remember. American yes. Pastoral was also a very good book. I've and never read him, actually. He's worth it. He's mm, very good. Okay. Very, very uh, New York Jewish, um, really. Up. Tom Wolfe died, too. Tom Wolfe died also, yes. Mm. This was, week? A couple uh, of weeks ago. A couple oh. of weeks ago, yeah. Electric cooled acid test. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, the right stuff. Yes. Yeah, he was a good writer. He, he was Tom Wolfe, yeah. He wore a white suit every day always. of his adult life. He was a southern gentleman with a white suit and a very a cravat and the whole mm. thing. But there were two Tom Wolfes, you know. There was another Thomas Wolfe who um, was a very good writer in the early 20s in New York. Died at the age of about 35. He wrote a book called You Can Never Go Home. Oh, really? Mm. Um, Were they related at all? Not at all, no. No. Did the earlier Tom Wolfe wear white suits too? Not at all, no. He was a bit of a um, roustabout. More of a wolf. No white suits. Less of a Tom, more of a wolf. Yeah, exactly. Well, Well said, John. Okay, well, we've got a couple of people to talk to today. First of all, we're going to be talking with Anthony Pope from the Peninsula Chamber Musicians. He's going to join us in a little while to tell us about the Midwinter Program coming up in June. And we're also going to be talking to the new director at McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery, Lisa Byrne, about the next chapter of Invigoration planned for our favourite sculpture park. I actually went there uh, last week uh, to see the turning of the first sod, actually literally by the benefactors Bales and Sarah Bailey for the new Bailey and Sarah Meyer Education Pavilion, soon to be constructed at McClelland. Whereabouts at McClelland? At the back of the cafe, the the length of the cafe at the far end, Mm. at the back there's a little 
uh, plateau. Pa- yes, they're going to build into that section there and then put a veranda further out. Okay, and it's always been who- a bit of a wretched area out the back there with some rubbish bins. Well, in fact, it. that's right. I was talking mm. to Lisa Rowett while I was there, and she said, "Yes, it used to just be piled with rubbish." Mm. So it, now it, there's it's, quite a bit of rubbish they could get rid of in the. Gardens. Yes, there is. Yes, well, I suspect that's possibly. I think what's they're going, going to on. rake the gardens, Mark. They've been <laughs> listening to you. They're <laughs> going to buy a, mm. buy a rake. <laughs> well, interesting because, of course, we're going. There, I think there's going to be a bit of a reinvigoration down there, and, and things yeah. were, uh, are going, new things are going to change. And excellent, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's great to hear. Uh, hopefully, they'll cull a few sculptures. <laughs> I know that is your bent, but yes. let's not suggest that necessarily this morning. Anyway, let's see. I'm going to play a little bit of Missy Higgins uh, for us today. Have you, uh, any of you like Missy Higgins? Is this new recording of Missy Higgins? No, it's an old one, actually. It's an oldie bit of goodie. It's Everyone's Waiting. Sorry, who's Missy Higgins? She is a young Australian singer-songwriter with an incredible voice. Here, have a listen to this. So did you like that, Mark? That's not at all sentimental rubbish, as far as I'm oh, concerned. Okay, and what a terrible name, Missy Missy. Oh, Missy, there we are. All name? right, well, Missy Higgins. It's Wait. like when Twiggy met uh, Queen Anne. She said, um, what an unfortunate name. Oh, for goodness sake. All right, well, we like her. Now, Do you? you know, you, yes. Well, have you bought her records? Yes. Okay. Now, you know who we have on the phone at the moment? We have the new director of the McClellan Gallery, Lisa Byrne, to talk to us. Uh, Lisa Byrne's taken over the stewardship of our most treasured sculpture park in Langwarren, and while she has been settling in there, there's been plenty going on. And we've all been waited with, waiting with bated breath to see what's going to emerge after a period of readjustment. And Lisa's on the phone with us this morning to fill us in on the current news. Good morning and welcome to Arts About, Lisa Byrne. Well, good morning, Sally. Thank you so much for talking to us today. You're very welcome. It's good to be on the show. Now, we know you've had your hands full at getting to grips with a big job. Uh, it must be a very daunting task on ver- so many levels, moving in as a new head of an institution with a process in place, clearly in need of an update. How have your first few months been? Uh, they've been delightful, I have to say, Sally. It is busy, no doubt about it, and um, McClellan has been going through a period of transition, um, and I'm sure your listeners are aware of many different factors that have contributed to that, but um, it's all systems go. We're building this year. Uh, we're building a fabulous new pavilion, the Sarah and Bailey Meyer Education Pavilion. We're about to start in a week and a half, um, so we're very excited about that. It's 123 square metres, but it's dedicated to education about sculpture and art. We'll be running seminars, all sorts of fabulous things. Uh, sorry, and who's, who's the architect? Ah, the architect is uh, Kirsten Thompson. Yes, and it's in that, I was explaining it to Mark just a little earlier, it's in that area um, out at the end of the, at the end of the cafe, out of the back there was a little veranda that looked out onto the garden there. That's right, Sally, that was um, the former Graham Terrace and the Graham family have been long-time uh, contributors to McClelland as well as the Meyer family. In fact, the Graham grandparents were the first two of three trustees when McClellan was founded in 1971. So Molly and Graham, um, sorry, Molly and Aidan Graham were the grandparents. So the uh, Graham family have kindly given us the money to extend the terrace in front of the new pavilion. So we will have a substantial deck out the back looking over the amphitheatre into the treetops and over the sculpture in the park. Wonderful. For the use of young kids, or, or presumably for the use of lots of different things. We're hoping to be intergenerational, as I call it. Um, <laughs> so good. teaching all sorts of classes around sculpture and making, as well as running, um, as I said, talks and lectures. We'll have the ability to link up internationally um, and run uh, you know, live cast 
interviews across the world with any luck. Um, all going well with our um, NBN here at uh, McClelland. So <laughs> it is a really exciting time for us and we're in sort of in development now with our education officer here, Imogen Good, who's been working as a special projects officer with the um, architect, Kirsten Thompson Architects and myself and um, Morty Palmer, who was here last year as strategic manager, who got it all underway. Well, 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 it was wonderful. I was there. Uh, I mentioned too little earlier that I, I was there the other day when uh, Bales and Sarah came out with the with the shovels and turned the first sod, uh, along with a classroom full of young students too, as well did, as the Graham family were there, weren't they? They were. So we had a terrific sod turning ceremony. It was my first, I think, actually, so far in my career. Um, <laughs> it was a beautiful day, as you know. The sun came out for the first time in the week, so we had some sunshine. And um, we dug the earth and um, we had uh, 40 very keen art students from Rowellan Primary School. Um, so we hope to see them back here, of course, uh, when the pavilion is open. But we will be, yes, teaching from that age. We have about 1,500 school children across sort of prep to year 12 come currently per year and use the park outdoors. But 95% of that time has to be during sunshine and dry weather. So if, if it is inclement or co you know too cold, too wet, we aren't able to run programs out in the park. So now we'll have an indoor area to be able to expand our education program. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. You are, space is at a premium there, isn't it? It is. <laughs> and when is, when is the work going to be finished? When be so we're aiming um, at this stage. As everyone knows, sometimes builds go a little mm. longer, but we should be finished by Christmas. Oh, excellent. Mm, that's so terrific. So summertime opening and um, we'll have events on yeah, next, early next year. Oh, that's great. Now, the other thing I noticed is that you have a new watercolour award, a rather significant acquisitive award that you have just announced. We do. So the McClelland, um, well, it's called Splash, the McClelland Watercolour Prize. Um, and we've started this initiative using um, the uh, Finari Bequest, which was something that has been here with McClellan for a while now, and it's for watercolour and painting acquisition. But we decided we wanted to do something that gave a, a larger group of artists an opportunity to participate and potentially become part of the uh, collection here at McClellan. And we looked around to see what sort of awards were being offered and in the current mix across the country, and watercolour is one that in the contemporary art world has not got representation yet. So mm. we were we thought let's go with watercolour and we obviously there are some um, you know significant contemporary artists that work in watercolour but we're also encouraging other contemporary artists to work in the medium and um, contribute to that. So we have a $30,000 first prize mm. um, which will be selected by um, independent curator Linda Michaels who was most recently senior curator and deputy director at Heidi Museum of Modern Art but has also been um, the guest curator at the Adelaide Biennial and has quite a distinguished career. And then our $10,000 um, prize, also acquisitive for highly commended, I should say, my apologies, uh, will be Samantha Compt, who's curator at the Ian Potter Museum of Art at Melbourne University. So we're very excited. We will select the show. So it's an open call. Myself, um, Michaela Dwyer um, and Carl Andrew, who was the very first director at McClelland, who is 80 years of age this year, oh my will, be pre will be selecting the show down to a very tight, um, highly um, distinguished grouping of those entrants and then the, um, the prize, the award and the highly commended will be selected from the final hang. When does it close? 
So, so what is the process? If, if the process is yes. um, artists just need to submit their CV, their um, image of their work, and a short description, 200 words. Everything's online for them at McClellan, www.mcclellangallery.com, or they can ring McClellan and we can email them um, the application form. Wonderful. Okay. Well, that's terrific. Uh, now, that's two quite significant uh, announcements in your very short uh, length of time at McClelland. Can we expect such a high pace of change over the next uh, few months? <laughs> <laughs> we, or are you well, going to need a we holiday? We still have our fabulous exhibition program and we're delighted to be having a solo show with Sana Mestrum, who is currently a local artist who lives here in Langwarren, um, but actually she is taking up a senior role at um, a university in New South Wales next year, so she'll be leaving us for some time. So we're delighted to have a solo show with her. She is one of the participating artists in the exhibition you've got there at the moment, isn't she? she? Is. In dimension, she has, uh, another dimension. She is, that's right. So what was her name? Sana Mestrum is her name. Sana. Sana. Asana. Yes. Sana. S-A-N-N-E. Okay. A significant Acute. artist, and for us, um, Sana's practice is very interesting because it has some very close ties with the um, Centre Five artists, and in particular Inga King in modernism and sculpture and representation or non-representation. So um, we'll have that on, and we'll also have a wonderful show by a landscape architect called uh, by the name of Annette Warner, and her exhibition is all about Gordon Ford, and it's come from her PhD research that she's um, just about finished. Is Gordon Ford um, a well-known landscape architect? He is, yes, yes, in the Australian bush style, indeed, yes. So he was um, a colleague of Alastair Knox and, and the musician Peter Glass, and he was heavily inspired by um, Ella Stones, who is another Australian landscape designer or architect, no, not architect at that time, actually, who also studied and worked for Edna Walling. So there's ah, yeah, that's a strong lineage of... Um, well, Edna sort of started more in an English tradition, but by the time she was, um, you know, most well-known and towards the end of her life, very strong in championing Australian bush landscape um, and the native environment for plants. Oh, well, that's a, you're in a perfect environment, really, uh, to be talking about that. Uh, the, the next exhibition, the Sana Maestrum, Maestrum one, is that, does that follow on from another dimension in the middle it of does. July? Yeah. Yes, it does. So that'll be um, opening around the 3rd of August. And the and the Annette Warner Annette Warner show opens at the same time, so we'll have a um, uh, for your listeners just to keep um, keep your ears open. But we will be having an opening here, yep. um, and then the show will run through the spring until um, mid mid November. Fantastic! But we're hoping to run some garden tours and a whole range of things, having some um, bush design, bush landscape designers speaking in relation to Gordon's work and people who were familiar with Gordon's work um, as well. So there'll be lots to come and hear about and partake of. Wonderful. Well, well, we'll keep in touch. I think as we get closer to that exhibition, we perhaps better get you or the curator in to talk to us about it. And, yes, uh, and, and both the artists, I'm sure, would like to talk too. Fabulous. Well, we'll definitely do that. That's wonderful. Well, it's really great to talk to you finally on air, Lisa Byrne. Thank uh, you, Sally. Uh, we're, we're big fans, of course, of McClelland and uh, look forward to seeing uh, new things happening down there. Thanks again for talking to us on Arts About today. You're very welcome. See you soon. Bye. 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 
The Peninsula Chamber Musicians Incorporated are an outstanding musical presence on the Mornington Peninsula, performing intimate chamber recitals as well as energetic chamber orchestra performances since forming in 2013. Drawing together highly skilled musicians from across the peninsula, the group hopes to inspire the next generation of listeners and also, most importantly, performers. Initially, in a drive to create opportunities for Peninsula-based classical musicians, the Peninsula Chamber Musicians have achieved recognition and support from members of Melbourne's professional orchestra community as well for their work. On the 17th of June, the orchestra comes together to present their midwinter performances right next door to us at the Peninsula Community Set Theatre. And to tell us a bit about it is the president of their board and also, I think, a horn player in the ensemble, Anthony Pope. Thanks for coming on Arts About with us today. Good morning. Good morning, Sally. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Very good, thanks. But I just want to make one point of clarification. Oh, yeah, I probably got something wrong, yes. Um, yes, I'm a trumpet player, not a not a French hornist. Oh, good, yes. Well, you see, I am a Philistine, so I wouldn't necessarily have known what the difference the French was. French horn is the one they put their fist in. Oh, yes, that's right. That's that beautiful curlicue yeah. thing with, yes, okay, beg your pardon. Oh. For want of a better definition, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. I, I was hoping he might pick that up, but anyway. <laughs> so, Anthony, we all know how hard it is for artists to gain any kind of traction in small communities, particularly given that we're not far from Melbourne, where it all is happening anyway. Has it made a difference to local classical musicians down on the Mornington Peninsula, this group that you've formed? Yes, absolutely. We've, we've been running now for five years. Um, and the, we created the, the ensemble basically to give, provide the opportunity for musicians, really talented musicians who are, you know, um, trained professionally, uh, the opportunity to perform, um, within their local community. And we have so many musicians that, you know, have, uh, trained for university, um, and come and live on the peninsula. They educate our, our, our kids, um, and they didn't have an opportunity where they could perform anywhere from, you know, south of Frankston. So we've created this orchestra. It's it's totally um, an amazing quality of orchestra. And we have uh, retired um, professionals. We have uh, teachers. We have current professionals performing with us. Um, and it's all about the community. So our community, people who live and reside on the peninsula, performing for the peninsula of people and it's it's never been done before and so we've created a, an orchestra for the peninsula which and and it's quite obvious as well of course that there are there are a huge number of people who love that sort of music down here there there are and um thank, thanks to the local council the morning peninsula shire uh, a year and a half ago they they provided some funding to us for the first time to actually put concerts on um, in the Southern Peninsula, which so we, we perform at the All Saints Anglican Church twice a year now in Rosebud, and you know the comments that we get from people are include you know oh, thank you so much you know we can't get to Mornington we can't drive to Frankston anymore you know um, it's so wonderful to have great classical music being performed here right in the midst of our community. Yes, well, that that was sort of leads to my other question. You're obviously um, you you have a season that you have uh, talked about and advertised. Do you also play gigs? Like, could somebody ring you up and say we've got a function somewhere we'd like you to play? Absolutely. So the genesis of Peninsula um, Chamber Musicians was actually just that. So it was a it started as a wind quintet with um, my 
wife, Marnie Pope, and um, Paul Jenkins on clarinet, and they 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 were performing, doing things like um, you know for coffee of Peter and the Wolf. They played in, in all of the libraries on the peninsula, performing for for children. Um, was it originally so, written for quintet, the Peter and the Wolf, or did you? Oh, abso- absolutely not. No, no. it's a, it's a, it's been um, transcribed. Yes, for for wind quintet, but um, and and a whole variety of other ensembles, mm. may I say as well. But but we so the genesis of it is, and why we call the Peninsula Chamber Musicians because um, whilst we perform six concerts a year as an orchestra. We have many iterations, and so we can have string quartets, string ensembles, wind quintets, uh, brass quintets, brass trios, wind trios, string trios, any any form. So if people want to uh, contact the Peninsula Chamber musicians and and have them perform, absolutely we can come and, and uh, we're here to assist. <laughs> That's good. That's the right attitude. Now, yeah. you've also got um, a program. You've got a season coming up in, uh, in a minute, in a couple of weeks, your midwinter yeah. um, program. That, yep. Tell us about that. So, yeah, we, we've been performing uh, a June concert every year in the Mornington Community Theatre. Um, this year, on the 17th of June at 2 o'clock, so a Sunday afternoon, which is a, a fantastic time of, and and people seem to love it because it's not in the evening. They can come out, they can go to the concert and then and go, then home, go for home for toast and tea. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, so this year, we're, uh, in on the 17th of June, we've got a fantastic soloist coming, I have to say. Carolyn Elmonte. Oh, my goodness, I love her. She is the most beautiful player, not to mention the most beautiful person as well. But um, she's playing Mozart's uh, piano concerto number 22, um, which will be a total delight. She... Uh, she and I have a long history. We um, went to the Victorian College of the Arts together, in fact, a long time ago, but we shouldn't mention that, but, I suppose. Uh, and you've got written here, it's got Mozart's Symphony Number no. 25. Is she playing that just by transcribing for piano, solo? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. She, um, so we have the entire orchestra performing. So you have a, what, a full orchestra? We uh, do, yes. And yeah. so... So we'll, the strings will play the Borodin uh, Nocturne um, from the quartet number two. Okay. Um, uh, so, but as a string orchestra, <coughs> not as a not as a quartet. Okay. And uh, which is done quite regularly. Mm-hmm. And then and then we'll play the full orchestra will come on stage and we'll perform uh, Concerto Number Twenty Two, as you as you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, with Carol and accompanying us playing the piano on stage. Okay. Which will be amazing, and then we'll have a an interval where people can um, come and drink fantastic coffee and have tea and we provide really great um, biscuits and accompaniments. Um, the coffee provided by common folk, I have to say, only mm. donated oh, by that, local... Well, that's good. That's good coffee. It is fantastic and they donate it, absolutely. And, and also they can purchase a bottle of wine, um, a glass of wine or a bottle of wine if they so choose. As long as, um, as, as common folk only bring the coffee and not their music. <laughs> but uh, the wine is supplied by Crittenden's, and, and they also are a fantastic sponsors of our group. And so all the proceeds of the sale of any wine goes comes back and helps contribute to pay for the likes of the hire of music and the call costs and mm. and that sort yes. of thing. And then we so after after the interval, we played Mozart Symphony Number no. Twenty Five, which is a beautiful symphony. Mm. And 
interesting, um, one of the first symphonies that was ever written in a minor key. Oh, really? Yes, absolutely. Um, Why was that? I mean, when, was the, when did the minor key come into being? Well, it was in the late 1870s, strangely. Um, and yeah, uh, it was. It was. Uh, uh, look, it's an interesting, interesting thing because all music was not, in the major key before, or, or was there no question of a key? Because I know, I know that it started with the uh, Gregorian chants. You know, that was the beginning yeah, of no, notation. Look, I, I should clarify that. What mm. I'm saying, what I, what I'm meaning to say is that um, it was one of the first symphonies that was okay. ever written in a minor key. Okay. So and which key I, is it in? It's in G minor. G minor. Okay. And um, you can tell yeah. Mark's quite an enthusiast. <laughs> well, let's well, not delve too far because he probably knows more than me. Well, no, no. But um, do you play any contemporary um, chamber music? Absolutely, we do. And uh, like Philip so Glass we, and etc. Yes. Well, uh, one of the that's a great question, and thank you very much. In in uh, September, on Saturday, the fifteenth of September, in fact, mm. um, we have a, a concert that we perform at Balura House. And uh, this will be the second year that we've done it. Now we've got a, we've, we're building a fantastic relationship, and they're so supportive. Um, we really appreciate it. Mm. Um, so, but we actually provide the opportunity for the oh, musicians see. to choose repertoire. And are you playing play. Simon Westlake? That's it. Are yes. You? Yes. Absolutely. That's correct. Um, and uh, there's the some songs, and we're looking at uh, Vaughan Williams mm. um, quintet as well. So, uh, yes, uh, we like to mix our programs up and provide all opportunities, as many as, and varied as possible, for all, all of our musicians and audiences. Yes, well, look, I think it's a big problem uh, in sort of contemporary listening is that we, we're still listening to people, music from 400, 500 years ago, which you know, we, we all appreciate, but there are many um, contemporary composers in Australia who uh, you, we just don't hear enough from them. And people like Ross Edwards and Simon Westlake, etc. They 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 are excellent composers, and I just wish we could hear them more often. Yes, well, you better get along, Mark. I will. That's, yeah. a, that, that's your spring uh, welcoming spring program. That's the fourth in your series, isn't it? Uh, no, no. Oh it's no, the one no, no, no that. Number it's the three. Third, yes. Yeah, number three. So on the fifteenth of September. Fifteenth yes. September. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it's a, it is. A, I mean, that, the performance venue at Blue House and Garden is just beautiful. Mm. And uh, and and so it's a it's a great opportunity, you know. It's well, we, we try and cater for you know um, all all people. And one of the things that we do is um, we absolutely encourage families to come along and bring their kids, you know. So we want we want the students of their teachers to come and hear them the teach their, their teachers performing, yeah. you know, yeah, really high quality inspirational music. stuff, isn't it? And so we have we have. Kids coming along from you know um, babies right through until till the age of eighteen, and it's it's all totally free for them. We we make it we make the concerts cheap um, for the audiences, so it's twenty dollars uh, for um, uh, pensioners and twenty five dollars for the for normal tickets, and totally free for anyone up to the age of eighteen. Mm, um, and it's it's about accessibility. So we want to provide repertoire that people are going to like and enjoy and understand 
and come to and um, yeah so far it's working really well that's wonderful well the midwinter um program for the peninsula chamber orchestra is coming up at the uh, community theater which is next to us here at artable p in mornington and i will of course put a link on the facebook page you can get tickets through try booking uh for people that are listening and anthony it would be fabulous to to have you on as a bit of a reminder for before the second program comes up in september we'd love to hear about that too Thank you very much for talking to us on Arts About today. No worries at all. It's my absolute pleasure. And yes, um, by all means, I'm happy to come come on and talk all variety of arts on the on, <laughs> on your program. Don't I, worry, I really, we'll have you in again. Now, I, love, I, I really appreciate your support, and thank you. Now you've got you've, you've supplied me with a track that I'm going to play now, which I think is Beethoven's First Symphony. Yes. Uh, the first movement is that correct? Yes. All right, well, we're going to go out with that and listen to, and this was recorded by um, Audible P's Mark Mail at the Community Theatre, so uh, at the venue that uh, in which you're going to be playing uh, in a couple of weeks. So yep. this is what you might hear, or something like it, if you go along today. Thanks again, Anthony Pope. Thank you very much, Sally. See you later. See you there, Bye. Anthony. Bye. Cheers, bye. Thank you, Swanee. I used to like saying thank you, man, from a galaxy nearby, but that's no longer the case. I don't think he is in a galaxy nearby anymore. Oh. I don't not... know where he is. Really? Oh, I do, actually. Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. building his house. Well, we won't reveal where he is. No, we won't reveal <laughs> where, exactly. Um, so I, I'm interested, in, we're, we're looking forward to this segue. unusual segue, yes. Yeah. Unlikely segue. Unlikely segue, okay. Yeah. Um, Mark, you may remember that uh, after uh, Franco had dealt with Spain and been dismissed, uh, they a lot of public works started in Spain. They started spending a lot of money fixing places up. Uh, and I remember there was a street in Madrid, a Roman street, that um, had been built by the Romans, and it was a dead straight kind of street out of the middle of Madrid, heading straight out from the Prado outwards. And uh, the Spanish decided that they would put a um, underground railway underneath this street. And rather than tunnelling underneath Madrid, what they did was that they pulled all of the Roman stones up, numbered them, <gasps> put them aside, and then they dug a trench underneath uh, this road. And then they put a concrete cap on top, and then they put the Roman street back down on top of that. With all the numbered stones. How incredible, really. Mm. Yeah. They do that quite a lot. Pull they do it. Apart. Do they? Yeah, well, the thing about the Romans was that their roads were so well built that they continued to exist, and that was mm. because they put gravel, sand, gravel, mm. then the rocks, and then they really built... They were, they were incredible engineers. Yeah. I mean, their aqueducts and their arenas are still standing. They, they didn't do bends, though, very often, did they? They liked they Well, liked they liked a straight good straight road, road. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that was... It was easier to march an army down. Yeah, Probably, I mean, look yes. at the Nullarbor, you know, the roads of Perth, it's... I know, but it's not Roman, though. So this, pro <laughs> this process um, involved them pulling up maybe 500 metres of road, uh, trenching underneath it, capping it, and then putting the road back. And about halfway down this road, they encountered a um, one of the wall side walls collapsed, and uh, they found a, a cellar which wasn't on their map, which they weren't expecting to be there. And uh, the wall sort of fell apart a bit and they were able to go in there. And when they got into this cellar, uh, they found that they could see from inside that the uh, access to it had been bricked up and uh, 
from above that had been tiled over. So no one knew that it was there. It was just this hidden cellar. Mm. And inside the cellar they found, uh, not so interesting perhaps, but a um, the remains of a person who'd been tied up and shot, which oh, is perhaps why the so cellar it was a hidden been, murder. Mm. Perhaps why the cellar had been bricked up. But they also found um, about three cases of Tio Pepe Sherry in, <gasps> from the, about the 1930s or so when, when they thought that this had happened. And uh, also, you'd be interested in this, Mark, a hexagon-shaped table uh, with an um, inlaid top on it, uh, which... Turned out that, uh, given the number of chess pieces that they also found, was in fact a three-sided chess table. <gasps> really? Yeah, so three people could play chess at once. And uh, I remember reading about this, and uh, I thought to myself, "Well, that's an interesting idea." Three, you know, you, and I nutted it out in my brain. I made a little drawing of it, yeah. of that possibility. Then I made a plywood three-sided chess board. And bought some pieces, and my brother Andrew and I, and Victor, who's the linen stretcher at Hang on. <coughs> Hang on. How many squares were on the three sided? Well, there'd be triangles. There wouldn't With be squares. Sti- exactly the same. There's 64 on a normal. Yeah. It's eight by eight. Okay. Yeah. So, how could you have a three sided 64? I'm going to get technical here, John. I can see it's not going to work, is it? <laughs> They get smaller as they head towards the centre, essentially. Because <laughs> I made a circular um, chess piece board. Well, I knew that you'd have something there for I me. know. But go on, please, don't let me interrupt. So we, we set this thing up and we um, tried to play a couple of games. What tends to happen with three-sided chess is that two people will gang up on the third person. It's like real life, really, isn't it? Well, it reminded me of Spain, actually, you know, but... <laughs> Franco and the Loyalists and the Basques, you know. There's oh. always been three separate interested groups in most of the battling that they do. Um, Actually, there wasn't the Basque. It was the Civil War. It was the whole of Spain. Yeah, but the Basque separatists were had their own agenda yeah. during that. Basque you know? separatists. Yeah, but they were still part of the... They were kind of the third player in it. Mm, yeah, okay. All right, well, well let's move on. <laughs> Uh, so we, we had a few games and it was interesting enough for me to think, or oh, maybe I could produce these, maybe I could become a manufacturer of three-sided chess boards, you know. Um, so I had a conversation with my father who said, well, you need to find out whether or not um, someone else is already making them or if they've registered the design or whether they've patented it. So we went to the Victorian Patents Office uh, where they had the registered design office as well. There used to be a big building in uh, Queen Street in Melbourne near the births and deaths offices uh, and there was the titles office. Part of the titles office was the registered design office. Oh, yes. And you go in there, one of those old Victorian buildings with dusty windows and lino floors and microfiche machines everywhere, you know. Now, you kind of like microfiche machines. Well, so do Will and Swanee. yeah. It's sort of the um, pre-digital Google. Yeah, quite. So we're looking through the microfiche stuff. There's all sorts of weird characters in there who are just sort of looking up registered designs. Inventors, you know, the place is full of inventors. 
And of course, there's like dozens of three-sided chess sets had been registered as designs, but not only three-sided chess sets, like multi-layer chess sets. Um, and one that really fascinated me was a um, like a spherical chess set that had magnets inside it, and the pieces stuck to the outside of it, and you could move the chess pieces around this ball and play a game of chess. Oh yes, that's like, not bad. Like you're on a planet. Mm. Maybe. And, mm. um, but no, any no, any round ones, any circular chess pieces? Only chess sets? spherical. Only spherical. Mm. On my way out of the building, Mark, uh, I, after I realised that I wasn't going to make my fortune as a manufacturer as a three-sided chess sets, um, I stopped in the foyer and glanced around and there was an entire set of those black and white photographs that they had in Red Rattler trains in Melbourne, you know, remember those with photos mm-hmm. of um, Mount Buffalo Chalet? Yes, the Twelve Apostles mm. and the uh, the biggest tree in the world or something up in the Dandenong somewhere. That all these beautiful photographs. And uh, well, if you two are going to dance with each other in the middle of my conversation, <laughs> we have to communicate while you're talking. <laughs> We have to, don't we, Mark? We do, we do. Yes. But go on. We are listening. We are yeah. absolutely listening. But yeah. And uh, I noticed all these photographs and it reminded me of the Red Rattlers and uh, those beautiful old train trips we used to have. On the f- My favourite carriage, carriages had names. Mm-hmm. I, used to get, I used to go to Sandringham Railway Station and I'd get on the St Kilda, uh, which had a photograph of uh, Mount Buffalo Chalet. And uh, loved it every morning on my way to art school when I wasn't being driven in the Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> so, on, Mark. Well, look, I've, I've jump in the gap. Well, no, yeah. you've taken all my time, John. I'm yeah, that's why we were communicating because oh. we were running out of time. Right. And so, um, but that's all right. We've only got M- Mark. Uh, oh, you had most of the show last he week. He did. He had. It's, it's, oh, look, I'm not complaining. It's your, John. I'm was your turn, to listen John. To you. And it was a great story, of course, as it always is. So, um, I'd love to talk about trains too, but I won't. It's, it's, um, they are the most romantic way of travelling. They absolutely yeah. are, I agree. It's just this sort of inherent eroticism in, well, involved in a train. Well, the old ones beautiful, you know, leather and wood and... Um. Well, no, the new ones, the, the, I mean, the, the problem with the trains in, in Melbourne are not at all like a lot of trains in Europe where, uh, for example, the metro in Paris, they're on rubber wheels yeah. because you know, they make much less noise. And now there's no compartments in them any longer. So you've got like a, it's like a long snake. Oh, it's like a lot like our trams. Yeah, there, there's no compartments. Oh, at all. Really? You can see all to the end. And on the uh, line one, the line one, no driver. So you've got a front in the front carriage you've got a glass window and you can look out into the tunnel yeah, i love looking at the front of a train and so that's you know they're all they're going to be all like that driverless compartmentalists yes. well i'll bet they still have cafes and bars and things in them though not in the subway no not, not in the, the subway no. but, but on, in the, the, on the tgv yeah yeah, yeah. The tgv yeah. you've which got which we uh, don't do here in this country well probably. we used to i remember taking I the train from melbourne to sydney and you could have a have a cabin with starch sheets and you could open the window and i recently took a train from melbourne to sydney it wasn't and that good, though, was it? It was appalling. Yeah. That's changed, but that will change again. It'll come back. I mean, they, when you think, you know, I lived in Avignon, which is 879 kilometers from Paris. You could get a train, a TGV, two hours and 40 minutes, okay, right. from one, that's the distance between Melbourne and Sydney. You could yeah. go in the morning, look at, go to all the galleries, have lunch, come back in the evening, have dinner Bankless. on the train. Yeah. It's just, it was so, and it, it's going to be, it will happen in this country. Because but if yeah, you're but probably window, not while we're alive. No, they're saying they're going if to you start. If open a soon. window, you had it blow off, surely. 
Uh, you wouldn't. No, that was a big thing. <laughs> you couldn't <laughs> open windows. No open windows in the TGV. No, because they're doing 300 kilometers. All right. Well, look, I've only got two minutes left. So Robert Smithson uh, is at uh, the art at University of Queensland, the Spiral Jetty. Uh, it's a lot of his drawings and books. And, I don't know um, who he is. He did, well, famous for the spiral jetty in the Utah Lake. Yeah. Um, oh. Land artist. Uh, quite a, really beautiful work, actually. It's a beautiful work, and he's, he seems like a very, he's a, quite a big writer and quite literary. But and, it's one of those works of art that relies in, entirely on being able to be photographed, really. Well, they, they, yeah, and it also it disappeared for about three decades because the water right. rose, and now it's, there's a drought. It's come back come back again okay so you can see it if you want but it's true it's like andy goldsworthy and people yeah. um who's that other richard long used to call short dick um he he did all, all about photos so there was an interesting essay um i probably can't even go into this no I? let's not i, I don't no. think we can where is the um i'll speak next the, week. the, the artist that you were just talking uh, about at the queensland art gallery at the queensland art gallery yep. and, and can you say his name again robert smithson he died smithson. age 35 oh Okay, well, um, we, we, I might put a link on the Facebook page if anybody would like to see him. I'd like to see him because I, I actually don't know his work at all. Well, you can look him up. He's, um, mm. he's, he's quite good. Mm, he's good. Okay, well, look, uh, we have just about run out of time, I'm afraid. So all I can suggest to everybody is that they put the, uh, have a look at the Peninsula Chamber Orchestra. They're playing at the Community Theatre on uh, June the 17th. Um, McCulloch and McCulloch, that's the thing I wanted to say. They've got their Winter Art Parade and Exhibition coming up in June on June the 9th, <laughs> which is only in a week or so away. Um, and uh, there's a link on Facebook. But I'd go along to their website as well and have a look. Um, next week, I'm going to get on the program um, the, the new leader of the Arts Party, Barry Keldoulis. And he's okay. going to talk to us a little bit about what the Arts Party's doing and uh, what their plans they are. They were called the Sex Party before? Is that no. True? No. No, they've, all, they've always been called the Arts Party. Okay. Uh, the Sex Party have changed their name. I, I've forgotten what they've changed their name to, actually. But anyway, well, it's not them. Don't look at me and no say sex that. Party. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you've just tuned in, you've missed Arts About. You can, uh, if you've missed the program and you'd like to hear more, you can hear the repeat on Wednesdays at 12... Or listen to the podcasts on the station website uh, that usually get loaded later on in the week. We'll be on again, same time next week, 11am on Sunday. You can find links to some of the things we've talked about today or um, on our Facebook page to get to hear what's coming up as well. And uh, remember, everybody, we may not know everything about art. What we do know, we enjoy. We do. do our best to enjoy it. We do. Yeah. Great to have you back, John. Thanks, Sally.